the message today. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the privilege that we have to be in your house today. God, we're so excited about, God, what you are going to do, what you've already done, God. We're just so excited about that. And God, we just believe that today is going to be a day of all days, a momentous day today, God, a day that we're going to look back in our lives and say, that was the day that God met my need. That was the day when God changed my family. That was the day when God did not disappoint me, but I met the appointment and God has changed my life. And we just really believe that God, today is going to be your new day. Each and every person's new day in this house. And we love you. We praise you in Jesus name. Amen. Come on, shout amen in the house. Come on. Wow, what a great month already we've had. Chosen 2015, just really stepping up and stepping out and realizing, yes, we're all called. God has called each and every one of us. But we want to go beyond the call. We want to go beyond receiving the invitation. We want to grab a hold of it and accept that invitation and say, God, we want to live for you. We want to serve you. And I'm excited for what God has done. I'm excited for what God is doing. Misty came up to me. She said, P, Friday, it's going to be three years Friday since I quit smoking. How awesome is that? That was during, come on, let's give God a shout in the house. That was during the fast that was on our heart. She wanted to be broken free from that bondage, that stronghold. And three years on, she's given glory and honor to God. And we're excited about what he's done, but we're excited for what God's going to do. I wonder what you need God to do today. What is it that you came in here for God to do? We believe today that God's excitement, just like Misty has, can be all over you as you can be excited to say this time next year, it's one year today since God healed me from cancer. It's one year today since God reconciled and restored my marriage, my home. I read this this week, a quote by Stovall Weems. I thought this was absolutely phenomenal. Look, God does not want to free us from hell just to watch us live in it while we are here on earth. Think about that. God doesn't want to free us from hell, just to watch us live in it while we are here on earth. God has a total freedom for your life. God has a total healing for your life and something that he wants us to experience. And again, why not today? Why not today? This be your new day. That's the title of our message today. Your new day. Chosen your new day. Look at our scripture again. Matthew 22 verse 14 says, For many are called, but few 
have chosen. Last week we talked about truly choosing God, putting God first in our life. What was the scripture we used? Matthew 6 verse 33 that says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Righteousness means his way of doing things. Seek God and the way he wants to do it in our lives. And the promise is this, all things will be added Unto you. It's a promise with a premise. If we put or when we put him first, God can do the rest. I wonder what your all is today. I'm telling you what it includes your healing physically, it includes your healing spiritually, it includes your healing financially, it includes your healing emotionally. It includes your healing in every aspect and in every way of your life. It's strength. It's blessing. It's whatever you need. Trust me, God's got it covered all under the all. And we want to give God the praise for that. And during these past 14 days now of this fast and on as we look to this last week just to really believe God, our goal and our desire has always been to live a life of proper perspective. For us to turn around and live a life of a proper perspective where we can live a life that each and every day believes that anything is possible and anything can happen for our lives. And I want that to be a part. I want to share a great story with you today from the Word of God. It's actually kind of a favorite of mine in some ways. I think this is probably one of the most preached stories maybe I've preached in the Word of God. But I absolutely love it because I believe there are so many truths in it that we can see for each one of our lives. So turn with me to John chapter 5. That's where we're going to be today. And while you're turning there, just talk to someone around you and say, come on, this is your new day today. Come on, just tell someone right now. Come on, this is your, this is your day to be completely whole. This is the day for God to touch your life and to change your life. Are you ready? John chapter 5, verses 1. It says, after this, there was a great feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there were in Jerusalem by the sheep's gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethsaida, having five porches. Bethsaida in the Hebrew language means a place of outpouring or literally a house or a place of grace. It was a special place of beauty. There was porches. It was elegant. It was palatial to look at, but it was more than that. It was symbolic. It was a place of great healing, as we will see, because it was a place that most knew about. It was a crowded place. Look, verse 3. In this lay a great multitude of sick people, those who were blind, those who were lame, those who were paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the waters. Picture what's going on here. A beautiful palatial pool with porches and alcoves all around it. But yet hundreds of people crammed in all around. Makeshift dwellings, tents, whatever they could do to get as close as they could to the pool. Because they wanted something to take place in their lives. Verse 4 says, For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool 
and stirred up the waters. We're not given great explanation for this. In fact, in some of your translations, I was amazed in the New Living Translation and other translations, they actually even skip verse 4. Read it. It goes from verse 3 to verse 5. They skip this part. Why? Because it's not something that's really explained. An angel would come. Now, we know it has to be an angel of God because Jesus does not condemn this place. And so an angel would be sent. However it would happen, whenever it would happen, we don't know. But what we do know is it was a miraculous happening that took place. That an angel would come and touch the water. That the waters would begin to be stirred and moved. And the first person in, after that took place, experienced an incredible healing in their lives. We can read stuff like that and kind of go, hmm, I don't know. But you see, when you try and reason God with your mind, there's going to be a lot of things that you're going to say, I don't know. Because why? God's a supernatural God. So what does that mean? He does things that are above and beyond our way of thinking. And you see, the problem is we've got so accustomed to man's way of doing things that when God wants to do things, we say that's not God. Or we say God can't do that. And we've got to be careful today because there's too much of man happening. There's too many people worshipping other people. There's too many people looking for man instead of God. Yes, God uses man, but remember, man is just a vessel. Just a pipeline that God wants to flow His life-giving Spirit. So get your eyes off of man today. Come on, I'm not your healer today. Whoever's going to be praying for you today is not your healer. We're just a vessel that God can flow through and God can do the miraculous if we'll just trust Him. But God, how can I figure some things of God you will never figure out? And that's why you've got to have faith. You just gotta trust God and you gotta believe God. Let's read on. Then whoever stepped into the water after the stirring was made well of whatever disease they had. I kind of laugh and smile when I read things like this because it says, whoever stepped in. It's like so polite. It's like so mannerable. It's like such order. Can you imagine what must have happened in that place when the water was stirred? There wasn't no stepping in. Come on. There was diving. There was bombing. There was everything taking place. People were rolling in. People were grasping, pulling. They were fighting. There was everything going on. Why? Everyone wanted to be the first in. Everyone wanted their miracle. It wasn't the case of after you. It was the first in. Can you see what was happening? It was pandemonium. And the Bible puts after they stepped in. Don't you love that? Yeah, they sure were. Stepping all over people. Come on, these boots were made for walking and walking's what they're going to do. These boots are going to pound all over you. Get out of my way. And it definitely wasn't an honor system. It wasn't the longest or the first there went in. Why? We're going to discover that. They didn't pull a number and whose number was next? It was everyone for himself. Everyone for himself. Verse 5. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity for 38 years. Notice the Bible doesn't say he was necessarily there for 38 years. He was sick for 38 years. But the Bible sure implies that he was there a long time. He was there a long 
time waiting for his healing. Can you imagine if it was 30 plus years that he was there, how many other people he must have seen receive a miracle? He witnessed time after time again people receive what they needed, but yet here he still lays in his broken state. From what we're about to read as we read on in a few moments, I really believe that he has given up hope. I really believe that he is in a place in his life where he feels that nothing will ever change, that this is how it's going to be for the rest of his life. He's been let down so many times as he saw the water move and he was right at the edge about to see someone else just run past him at that last minute and jump in. His hopes have been dashed. It's not happening for him. So now what happens? It's a safer place for him to live Accepting the fact that he'll never make it. Accepting the fact that nothing will ever change. To him, I believe now, all it's become is a place of onlooking. That he is just looking and celebrating almost with everyone else because his day, he believes, is gone. He has missed his opportunity and God won't move in his life. You see, it's easier many times to not try and go there because then we have to run the risk of facing rejection again. We have to face the risk of being hurt again. Well, I'm never going to love again. Why? Because I've been hurt. It's so easy for Satan to keep us where we're at, telling us that there is no other hope for our lives. Don't ever allow your circumstances to destroy the dream that God has put inside of you. Don't ever allow the fact that it's not happening right now to change the fact that God's a God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Come on, if it doesn't happen today, He's still the God of tomorrow. He's still the God of your future, and we've got to keep trusting Him. And isn't it just like Satan to believe that it will never happen to us? Isn't it? And even if it could happen to us, he'll throw this in. Why would it? Have you seen yourself? Do you know what you're going through? Do you know what you think in your mind? Satan is a liar. Remember, if you want to know if he's lying to you, if his lips are moving, he's lying to you. A thief does not break into an empty house. And I hate to be redundant to keep saying that, but you need to hear that. So if the enemy's telling you you'll never be healed, get ready because he knows he's trying to stop you from the healing that God still has on the cards for your life. That God still has and his ability is still able to give to you. Makes me think a little bit of the fact of Jarius. Anyone remember Jarius in the Bible? Jarius was a, a ruler of the synagogue and he had a really, really sick daughter. In fact, she was so sick, they were worried that she was going to die. And look what it says in Mark chapter 5, verse 22 and 24. It says, And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jarius by name. And when Jesus, or when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. And he begged Jesus earnestly saying, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. Verse 24, so Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Everything was going to plan. It wasn't the plan that his daughter was sick, but the plan was that if I can get Jesus to her place of sickness... 
I know that she's going to be well. And here Jesus is. He's on his way. This is going to be my new day. This is going to be my moment. This is going to be a time of great celebration for my life. But it wasn't long before everything came to a screeching halt. Jesus stops and he turns around and he says, who touched me? Who touched me? Who touched me? The disciples paraphrased. You know what the disciples said? Who touched you, Jesus? I mean, who hasn't touched you right now? Because the crowds were thronging Jesus. They were pressing him. It was like the disciples had to be a bodyguard presence around Jesus so he wouldn't be crushed by the people. Everyone was trying to touch Jesus. But yet Jesus said something different just happened. It was a different touch that I felt virtue, I felt life, I felt something come out from me. There was someone with a desperation, there was someone with a desperate touch. Who was it? It was a lady who had been hemorrhaging for 12 years, spent everything that she had, but yet grew worse. And that's not my point of my message today, but it's definitely a good one, that as she pushed through and touched Jesus... Jesus healed her. But here's the thought, with all of the commotion of her healing, with that which took place as they're trying to find out what did happen and who touched Jesus and they're trying to work it all out, it's delayed Jesus from getting to where he needs to be. And in fact, with all the delay, it's now too late. In fact, with all the delay, it's too late. Mark 5, verse 33. While Jesus was still speaking to who? While he was still speaking to the lady. While he was still involved in that situation. Some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, Jairus' house, and said to him, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? I can't even begin to put myself in his shoes. I cannot even begin to imagine the emotions that must be flooding through every fiber of his body at that time. Hearing the news, why he knew there was a desperate need, but Jesus was on his way. All of a sudden his day was turned around and he knew that there was hope because life was coming to his house. But now there was news that there is no hope, that life is all gone. What would he do? All the emotions that are flooding through, and I'm sure a lot of the emotions began to be turned towards that lady as he was angry angry with her. Who do you think you are? You've messed up my day. You've messed up my life. My life will never be the same because of you. You're old. You could have had what you had and kept living, but my daughter will not live because Jesus has been delayed. Crushed. Broken. All hope gone. But was it? Was all hope gone? Verse 36, as soon as Jesus heard the words that were spoken, what? Your child is dead. Leave Jesus alone. Jesus does what? He says to Jarius, do not be afraid. What? Only believe. What is Jesus saying? Just have faith. Come on, just trust me. In other words, come on, it doesn't get much Final, more, more final than death. But Jesus says, will you still refuse to lose hope? 
Refuse to lose hope in this situation and trust Him. Come on, we must never lose hope in Him. Quit having to quit having hope in His ability to perform the miraculous on our behalf. So I want to tell you right now, I don't care how it may look, 38 years, however it may be, whatever may be happening all around you, I want to give you hope today that Jesus is still coming to your house. Jesus is still coming to your house. What does he say? Fear not. Trust me. Keep believing. Don't give up. We better finish the story. Jesus shows up at the house. He changes the environment. Puts out all the mourners and all the miserable people. He goes in there and he says, little girl, rise up. And she rises up and she comes back from the dead. Oh, she wasn't sleeping. She was dead. Jesus raised her from the dead. Why? Because there is life in Jesus that death cannot even destroy. There is a life in Jesus that death does not even have the ability to quiet and to take. Come on, your situation is no worse than death today. And even if it was, Jesus is still able to heal us. Don't go dying on us today, but Jesus could still raise you from the dead. Because he is the giver of life. So back to the story. Here he is, 38 years, giving up all hope in his life. A man, not even given a name. I love this about the gospel. That someone who's not even given a name, meaning they're not even really significant in the world's eyes, but yet they are fully significant to God. I don't care who you may be in everyone else's eyes, you are something special to God. Come on, you're his pearl of great price and he loves you. You're his own possession. God loves you. Doesn't tell us what was wrong with him. He just had an infirmity that had left him in a disabled, crippled state for over 38 years. Why do you think it doesn't tell us what was wrong with him? Why? Because every one of us can fit our need right into that slot. No matter what it is, God is still the answer. God is still the hope. So now this man now has this same Jesus who raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, standing in front of him in his desperate, resolved state. He's resolved. This is how it's going to be. Read on what he says in verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been in that condition for a long time. How would Jesus know he had been there for a long time unless he had everything set up like home? Come on, it become home to him. The pictures of the kids were up on the side. Come on, he had all the paintings of his grandkids that they'd painted pictures and came to visit him. Come on, the TV was in place. The plants were there. Come on, it become his home. There was probably a sign that said, Home Sweet Home. Then it become a place where he now lived. A place, his penthouse that he would only look and admire and watch other people's healing with only a distant thought towards himself. And Jesus says to him these words. What does Jesus say? Do you want to be made well? One translation says, do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be complete? Come on, Jesus is saying to him like he's saying to each one of you today, do you want your new day today? Do you want your new moment today? Do you want life to come? Do you want, Jesus said to him, to be healed from that which you have been carrying now 
for 38 years. And here's where I believe that we truly see that the man has given up. Because there's not even a yes. There's just an excuse. Come on, there's just an excuse and a reason why it has never happened and it never will. He could have at least said, yes, I believe, and then given an excuse. But there's not even a yes left in him anymore. It's just an excuse of why it would not happen. Why? Because every ability for it to take place has been taken from him because of being let down and disappointed in the past. Verse 7. The sick man, I love that. The sick man answered him. The person writing this wants us to know, John, that he is a sick man. That he has this infirmity. This isn't just something small. This is something big. He answered Jesus and said, But Jesus, or sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus, there's no way it can happen. There's no way it can happen. That's man's report. Come on, that's man's report, not God's. Not God's. Not God. Little did that man know the sir that was standing before him that day. Maybe he did know who Jesus was. But he didn't know enough to see Jesus as being his healer. It's not my time. It's over. This is it. You know, I read this week and I put it on my Facebook page. Psychologists have actually diagnosed or come up with a new, what they have called a mental health problem. And it's one of the largest mental health problems that people face today. And they've labeled it FTT. And it's called failure to thrive. Failure to thrive. In the professional field, they have labeled it as this. And really, as you look at it, it's not the presence of mental illness. It's not a mental illness, but what it is, is it's the absence of spiritual, mental, and emotional vitality. It's all because people have lost hope that their life will ever change, that their circumstances will be any different. So as a result, they have resolved that this is how they're going to live the rest of their lives, thus going into mental anguish and being what? Uh, In a place of unrest and in a place of torment in their lives. And as you live in that place for too long, it will become your identity. It will tell you this is who you are. And as a result, the torment and the aspects or the effects that will cause in people's lives are horrific. As people literally live but yet give up. They're literally living corpses. They're just breathing but they're dead. They have no life inside of them. Telling you right now, we've got to start believing again. Because Jesus said, only believe. Come on, anything can happen if you will believe. It may not always happen in your time frame. It may not happen how you think it should. But you've got to keep having hope. Because when you have hope in God and you have faith in Him, hope and faith will change everything. To trust Him, to believe in Him, to know that He came to give you life and a life of abundance. John 10.10 is your verse as much as mine. The thief comes to kill, steal and destroy. We can accept that. But we've got to be reminded that God says, I've come to give you life. And a life of abundance. Verse 8, Jesus says to him. Notice this. Jesus says to him. A lot of the times what is written is this. And Jesus replied. Jesus is not replying. Jesus is saying. 
There's a difference here. And I am so glad in my life that Jesus hasn't replied to some things that I've asked him for. Come on, I'm so glad that sometimes Jesus doesn't reply. He just does. He just does what he knows that we need in each and every one of our lives. It's like Jesus just ignores the excuse, ignores what he says, why it can't happen. And Jesus just begins to speak why it can happen. Come on, I want to begin to speak the words of Jesus today. I want to go through every excuse and every reason why it can't happen. And I want you to hear the words of Jesus today, why it can happen, why your healing and why your miracle can take place in your life. And Jesus speaks to him and he commands him and he says, rise up, take up your bed and walk. And I love the next part. And immediately, right there, the man was made well. He took up his bed and walked. Come on. And that day was the Sabbath. Why the Sabbath? The Sabbath was the first day of the week. What have we been doing through the fast? Giving God our first fruit. The Sabbath is the first. Come on, as we give the first fruits to God. Come on, that means that this day is your day. This day is your moment. And quickly, I want to show you four things that can stop you today from your healing. Four things. Number one. The wrong faith source. You can place your faith in the wrong things. What did the man say? If only I had someone to help me. If only there was someone to let me down in the water. Then what? He still would not be guaranteed his miracle. Because do you think other people would step out of the way? No, we've already cleared the fact everyone wanted to be in there first. Because the first in was the one that received the touch. So even if he had what he wanted or what he thought he needed to get in to that place, it still would not produce his healing. There's only one that can heal. Come on, why worry about an angel coming to touch the water when the king of kings himself, the one who the angel is the messenger of, can be standing right here in front of you and we don't even see it. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 that we are to look unto Jesus. One translation says, having only eyes for him. We've got to have only eyes for Jesus because what is Jesus? He is the author. He's the originator. He's the one that started all of this and he is the finisher. He is the perfecter. Come on, he wrote the book. He's the author. He knows what's going to happen in your life of our faith who for the joy that was set before him. What joy? The joy of your life. I really believe That the joy of your life, your wholeness, your healings, your blessings, that he endured the cross. We know that he went to the cross for each one of us. And it was a joy for him to go. For what reason? Not a joy in the pain, not a joy in the suffering, but a joy in what he knew was going to be accomplished through that which he did. When he was on the cross, one songwriter says, I was on his mind. What does that mean? What you need a healing in your body. Jesus said, I'm doing this today for right. I'm doing this today for Steve. I'm doing this today for Stephanie. I'm doing this today for Gabrielle. I'm doing this for them today. And there was a joy that rose inside of him. Why? Because he knew that which was going to be accomplished and able to take place. Who endured the cross, despising the shame of what it was. Was willing to take all of that. Why? Just For you and me. But what's the end of that verse? And he is now 
sat down. Come on, say with me, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's important. You know why that's important? Because when someone sits down, that means the job is done. Come on, he's not standing trying to fix things and do things any longer. Jesus is sitting in heaven. What does he mean? He's sitting on your healing because he's already made it possible for your life. Come on, he's sitting on your breakthrough. He's not going, oh, let me fix this. Let me do this. He says, I'm sitting on it already because I've already done it. It's just up to you to step into that and realize that and begin to accept that in your life. Through the cross, he accomplished everything. That we would ever need for our lives. So where do we look? We've got to look to Him. He's got to be our face off. Read Psalms 121 when you go home. I lift up mine eyes towards the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help cometh through the Lord. Come on, He will not cause my foot to move and to be stumbled. Come on, He doesn't slumber. He doesn't sleep. He who keeps me, He'll keep me. Come on, He'll put a shade over me in the heat of the day. He'll protect me. He'll be all around me. Why? Because He cares for me. I'm looking to Jesus. I'm looking to Jesus. And that passage that we talked about in Hebrews, Paul is talking about a race. He's talking about running a race. And if you've ever ran a race, the most important thing to do is not concentrate on everyone else who is around you. But the importance is to keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes where you're going. Keep your eyes to the finish line so you can make it because you'll get distracted and slow down when you look back. Come on, you got to keep trusting God. The reason why we don't get healed is because we're looking to the winds and we're looking to the waves instead of looking to the one that we can walk on the water with. And trust Jesus. Well, pastor, it's not happening. Keep looking. Keep trusting. Keep stepping. Well, pastor, if you knew everything I've gone through, you're right, I don't. And we'll never fully know. But there is one thing I do know, and that is this. He still promises to be your healer. That nothing is impossible if we can believe. You've got to look to that. So don't have the wrong face source. Are you ready? Number two, don't get comfortable. Don't get too comfortable. That's not your home. Take down the home sweet home. Take down the pictures. Take down the plants. Put away the TV. Come on, sir. This is just a temporary place. Come on. This is somewhere I may have had to visit for a while and I may have to stay here for a little bit, but this is not my life. This is not where I'm going to be forever and it's certainly not going to be my destiny. It's not going to be my identity. It's not going to be something that the enemy's going to use to get glory. I'm going to turn this thing around for God. 38 years, give or take. I'm telling you, that's a long time. And we can get comfortable. And we can get to that place in each and every day. What about if we could dare to believe again? Turn to your neighbor and look him square in the eye and say, dare to believe. Come on, what if we could dare to believe again and trust him that this moment of disappointment hurt, the questions can be turned around as we make a decision That no matter what, we're not going to lose hope. You know, the most comfortable places of our lives are the ones we spend the most time at. What becomes usual to us is where we find. So if we're depressed every day and that's where we find ourselves, that's going to be the place we're going to sit. That's where we're going to be comfortable. If we gossip all the time, guess where we're going to stay? In a state of gossip. Come on, if we're dishonest and we have, we're going to stay in what becomes comfortable. Come on, if you're comfortable lying, you're spending too much time lying. Don't need to lie, period, but you're spending too much time there. If you're comfortable talking about other people, then you're in the wrong place. 
And so you've got to watch where we're at in our lives because we can get too comfortable in the wrong places. That's not what God's called me to. That's not the place where God, that's not the relationship God's called me to. That's not the conversations that God's called me. Come on, don't get comfortable in those things and think everything's going to be okay because comfort is going to result in what? What is comfort going to result in? You stay in the same way. You're going to still be sick. You're going to still be diseased. Number three, you've got to watch your friends. Watch your friends. You've got to watch the people who are speaking into your life. I'm telling you, 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 you just got to, you got to watch this. That man, after being there for all those years, must have known everyone. And if he didn't know everyone, everyone knew him. He was like a public figure. He was probably on the postcards. You know the postcards of Jerusalem at the Sheep Gate, at the Pool of Bethsaida? Here he was in the middle, smiling in every one of the postcards. Come on, he was a public figure in that place. They kind of knew who he was. He was a celebrity of sorts because he had been there for so long. He's like those people in the Saints games, you know, where the camera finds every game because they're dressed the same way and they're crazy every game. That's him. That's him. So he was known by everyone there. But listen to this. How sad that even though he knew everyone and everyone knew him, no one cared enough about him. To help him and say, no, you take this turn. You've been here. You've got to watch because there's people around you that all they're looking for is an opportunity to jump all over you, to springboard into the next thing. That's not your friends. That's not someone that's going to take you somewhere. I want some people that are going to see my needs and say, hey, my needs are not greater than yours. I want to help you. What can I do to help you? How can I speak into your life and give you the hope? You've got to surround yourself with the right people. You can have many people around you, but still have no friends. You've got to be so careful. We've talked about this, I know, many times, but you're going to discover in life there's only a few people, probably on one hand, that you can look back in your life and say they were real friends. Because a real friend is this, they'll be there when there's trouble, and they'll tell you what you need to hear and not what you want to hear. Come on, come on, come on. You've got to watch your friends. You've got to watch your friends because you can even have friends in church that will keep you from Jesus. Quote me on that. Twitter me on that. I don't care. It's the truth. And the whole truth. So help us, God. Listen to what it says in James chapter 4 and verse 4. And I know it's not talking about specific friendships, but I really think it can work for this. Look what it says, adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Friendship, having the wrong friends, being a lover of the things of this world, having friends that are going to take you to love the wrong things is what enmity with God. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world, wow, makes himself what? An enemy of God. We've got to watch our friendships. We've got to watch what we want out of our friendships and where they're going to take us because I don't want to be an enemy of God. I want to be a friend of God. I want to be someone that God loves. You've got to watch what's speaking into your lives. You've got to watch the voices that you're listening to. 
Here's the type of people you need to be around. whole other message here, but let me give it to you real quick. Are you ready? You need to be around people that will take you to Jesus. Come on, those four guys, they bundled him up and they carried him to Jesus. You need to be around some people that won't be denied. When problems come and situations come, they're not going to be the first to bail. They're going to say, I'm in it with you for the long haul. Come on, we're going to see this through. Come on, we didn't do all of this just to be denied right now. We're going to make it happen. You need to be around some people that are willing to get their what their wallet out. And it may cost them something. But you know what? You're a good enough friend that they're going to help you. They're going to rip a roof off. Come on, they're going to raise the roof so you can get to Jesus. That's the kind of people that you need to be around. The type of people can be described in Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Friends sharpen friends. If you're sitting there trying to justify your friendship right now, then it's not good. If you're trying to say, well, they're not that bad. You should be saying amen to that, amen to that, amen to that. And if not, goodbye to that, goodbye to that, goodbye to that. Because you cannot afford, because the wrong company, the Bible says, evil company corrupts good habits. Oh, but I'll get them saved. No, you'll probably go to hell before you'll get them saved. Got to be careful. Well, how am I going to win them? You don't win them on their terms. You win them on your terms. You invite them to come to the church. You love on them a little bit, but you don't go to the bars and the clubs to win them to Christ. That's foolishness. Come on, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. You are by a higher standard and a higher calling. And here's who I am. And I'm not going to stoop to be anything else apart from what God's called me to be. Watch your friendships. Listen to this. There's always going to be someone that can say it can't happen. You need to be around people who say it can. And you need to be around people that will say it will happen. And it's going to happen for you. And I'm going to keep believing with you. Amen. Amen. Number four. You ready? Almost done. Don't accept your fate. Please don't accept your fate. Well, this is as good as it's going to get. Doctors have said there's no hope. The doctors have said, my womb is barren, I'll never be able to give birth. Come on, don't believe what man would say. Don't accept your faith. It's not that we're calling them a liar, that's the fact. But how many knows there's fact and truth? The facts may say, this is how it is, but the truth is this, I'm still your healer. The truth is this, I'm still the way. Come on, I'm still the truth and I'm still the life. I'm still coming to your house. If you'll just trust me. And you'll believe. Don't accept the fact it will never change. Because Jesus, the giver of life, is now standing right before him. He's standing before you today to meet your need. God showed me this. And you can say, oh yeah, God showed showed me this as I was praying this morning, earlier this morning. I said, God, this is our day. And God challenged me and he says, no, it's not your day. It's not our day as individuals. God says it's my day. It's my day. Because God says no matter how much you want, what you need in your life, trust me, I want you to have it more. So, so this is my day for healing. No, this is God's day to heal you because he's been waiting a long time for you just to come to him with faith and just to trust him. It's not your day, it's his day. And as a result of his day happening, you're going to have a new day. It's a new day that can come to you. Remember Bartimaeus? What did Bartimaeus say? Did Bartimaeus, in fact, 
except the fact that he was blind. And people told him, shut up, Jesus don't care about you. I mean, look at you, you're a beggar. He didn't come for people like you. What did he do? He cried the louder. He says, listen, this is my only shot I may ever have. Jesus may never pass my way any time again. I'm going to do everything I can to get his attention. And I love it. He gets the attention of Jesus. Jesus stops. And then there was something so powerful that happens that we just skip over and we don't even realize. It said, and he laid aside his garment and went to Jesus. The garment was a beggar's garment. It was that which would be a cloak to cover him at night. It would be that which he would lay out on the streets during the day to sit on for people. But he was recognized as a beggar by the garment he wore. Come on, when he got the attention of Jesus, he threw that garment and said, and said, beggar, no more. Come on, I'm not needing that. What faith he had. He was not willing to accept where he was. And you know what now? We don't know him as blind Bartimaeus anymore. We just know him as Bartimaeus. And to his friends, he's just Bart. Come on. Not Simpson, he's just Bart. Why? Because God changed his life. We're believing today that God's going to change your life. The band's going to come back as we get ready in a few moments to go into worship. And as we get ready to go into worship, listen to this scripture, Romans 8 verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. And we know, and we know, we know today through God's Word that He's your healer. We know today that God is able to do infinitely more than you can even imagine. We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's Word into effect. At Heart Seas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.